0: Greetings, brethren. Welcome to day four of the Feast of Tabernacles 2022. And what and where is the shortest, most succinct statement of God and Christ about His plan? And the millennium, as we know, is a big part of it. But it's good that we're going through the history and seeing how the people of Israel did not really submit to God. So this is why Christ came. Now, we'll get to that a little later. But let's read the first person words of Jesus about the whole purpose of God's plan. Because it's summarized right here in John 17. Now this is quite a prayer. And this is the Lord's Prayer. The prayer in Matthew 6 is not the Lord's Prayer. That's an outline of how we are to pray to God. Here is the Lord's prayer, his prayer, just before he was arrested and taken off at midnight to begin the ordeal leading to the crucifixion. Now, when you read these words, it is amazing how John wrote these down. Christ had to give them to him at a later time. Now, he was with Christ, with Peter and James as well, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is his prayer. But I don't think that John was close enough to really hear the whole prayer so god gave it to him so it would be in his gospel so we would have it and to give us inspiration and hope see and let's understand why our calling is so good so great so marvelous see and yet Living in this world that is so perverted and upside down, it is a challenge to really maintain our perspective and our commitment and everything that is necessary for us to enter into the kingdom of God so we can be in the first resurrection and come back with Christ to the earth and reign on the earth And help bring in the great harvest of God. Now if there's any one thing that Jesus Christ had. It was. That his mind was always on. The plan of God. And how. God was going to bring it about. Now let's pick it up in John 17. Verse 13. Jesus said, And I'm coming to you, and these things I'm speaking while yet in the world, so that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. When is the joy going to come? At the resurrection. Remember Matthew 25? Those who used the talents and gained. What did Jesus said? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And Jesus also told us. That he has overcome the world. Yet we're in the world. And he said in the world. We'll have tribulation. That is. It's going to be difficult. And he also said. Through Peter. That the just. It's difficult to bring them into the kingdom of God. Why? Why? Because of all the things going on in the world and all the things going on in our lives. All right. Now, verse 14, I've given them your words. Now, amazing thing, brethren, we have all the words of God, the whole Bible. And think down through the history of time from Abraham, even though Abraham submitted to God and obeyed his voice and kept his laws and his statutes and his commandments and therefore the covenant was passed on to Isaac and he was obedient to God. Okay. That was just the very starting of the nation of Israel. Now then, God is building his spiritual nation through Jesus Christ. And so this is what Jesus is focused on. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. And that's why prayer and study is necessary every single day. Now, a little sidebar on study. You read of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and Satan is there after all seven. So that's why we need Christ and keep our guard up. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. That means make them holy. That's the whole purpose of the experiences that we go through and the trials that we go through and the successes that we enjoy. Okay, so that we are sanctified in the truth of God. Your word, Jesus said of the Father, is the truth. And remember this, always remember this. Every word that Jesus spoke was what the Father wanted him to speak. Verse 18, even as you did send me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. And so here we are, over 1,900 years later. And for their sakes I sanctify myself so that they all may be sanctified in your truth. Every single one of us, From the time of Christ down to his return and the time of the resurrection. See? Now, you can't be made holy if you don't study the word of God. And you can't be spiritual unless you have the spirit of God. Now, we'll talk about that a little later. But this also has to do with a dwelling place for God. because God wants to live with his people. Now let's continue on. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who shall believe in me through their word. Now this is why all elders and teachers and ministers, whatever, okay, We are to teach the truth of God. That all the brethren, through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, can be sanctified and made ready for the resurrection. Now here's what Jesus prayed. Now this will happen, but we've got to yield to God. That they all may be one. Now listen carefully to this. Even as you, Father, are in me. And I in you. That they also may be one in us. Now remember where we started? Huh? Yes. The family in heaven and in earth, right? And that the world may believe that you did send me. Now, the only voice that's going to be out there really preaching it the way it should be, and it should be from the churches of God, because we ought to have the spirit of God and truth to be explained to the world what is happening. Now, right now, the world is in the grips of Satan, the devil, and it's much harder for everything for us to do what we need to do, but we need to remain faithful. Okay? Now notice this. Verse 22. I've given them the glory that you gave to me. That is, receiving the Holy Spirit. And that's what's important. Having the Spirit of God, sanctified by the Word of God, made holy through the truth and prepared for the resurrection so that we can rule and reign with Christ. And that's what the whole Feast of Tabernacles is about. How is God going to do this? All right, we'll get into that in a little bit here. In order that they may be one, in the same way that we are one. In love, and truth, in joy, in happiness, in understanding, and every great desire and good desire of life in this life will be magnified when we're resurrected to such a degree that it will be, as Jesus said, enter into the joy of the Lord. Now notice, everything circles around this. Everything in the Bible, right here, verse 23, I and them. Paul wrote, if you have not the spirit of Christ, you are none of his. And you and me. And we have to have the spirit of the Father. Okay? Okay. That they may be perfected. Now perfection we know is a process. Into one. That the world may know that you did send me. And that you have loved them as you have loved me. Now that's quite a statement isn't it? Huh? How has God loved us? Well. Well. Christ volunteered to come and lay down his life in the sacrifice that he gave so that we might live. Now Think about that. Okay? Now, let's look at a warning for us in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Okay? And then we will go back and survey some more of the Old Testament and see that with them it was always when there was never a, a judge that is righteous or a king that was righteous, all the children of Israel would go astray. See? Paul knew that we would go through all of these things, okay? So he says, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, Now I do not wish you to be ignorant, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual meat And they all drank the same spiritual drink, that is, the word of God and the truth of God. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not pleased. Now we've seen that. For their dead bodies were strewn in the wilderness, but now these things become examples for us. That's why we need to study them, see, and learn the example and see. So that we might not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as some of them. For it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. As soon as it looked like God wasn't around, bang, in kick, Satan, the devil, and carnality, and look what happened. And neither should we commit sexual immorality as some of them committed, and 23,000 were destroyed in one day. You would think they would have learned a lesson from that, huh? And neither should we tempt Christ as some of them also tempted him and were killed by serpents. How do you tempt Christ? By doing pagan, satanic things in the name of God. Huh. Where does that leave the world? Well, you figure it. Yes, tempt him. And were killed by serpents. Neither should we complain against God, as some of them also complained and were killed by the destroyer. Now, all of these things happened to them as examples. That's why we have the Old Testament. So we can learn from it. We can see the examples. We can see what righteousness is we can know what the commandments of God are and then in the new testament we can apply them spiritually as examples and were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the earth are coming so this is why we're going through it during the feast of tabernacles okay therefore let the one who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall No temptation has come upon you except what is common to mankind. For God, who is faithful, will not permit you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But with the temptation, he will make a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. Okay. Now, that's why prayer and study is important. Okay. Let's come back now. And let's see some things concerning what we just read. Okay? God wanted a dwelling place. Let's come back to Exodus 25. Okay? Exodus 25. Now, God brought them to Mount Sinai. And he knew what he was going to do at Mount Sinai and give his law. And so he spoke the Ten Commandments. And then beginning in Exodus 25, he began to give all the instruction to Moses on how to make the tabernacle and everything in it. And what he did, like he always does, he tells the purpose As to why he wanted it done. And we will see what God Himself said. Now let's pick it up here in verse 8. This one verse tells everything we need to know as to why God did what He did. But did the people really believe Him? Did they trust in Him? No. Even after God took them out of Egypt, took them away from everything that we would call the known world to them, and brought them to him at Mount Sinai, and spoke the Ten Commandments to them, and gave his laws and statutes in chapters 21, 2, 3, and 4, sanctified them, and sealed the covenant with them. For what purpose? All right, verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. Now, today, we have it dwell in us. Among them. So the dwelling place was where the tabernacle was. And after all that was finished, everything completed, we come to the last chapter of the book of Exodus. So let's read it. Okay? Okay. Moses got everything ready. He had it all set up. Everything all ready to go. Okay? And... God showed all of Israel because they were all gathered around to see what is the tabernacle going to be like. Okay. Now, when it was all set up, it says here, verse 33 and 34, the last chapter, chapter 40, the book of Exodus. Exodus. And he set up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the court gate. And Moses finished the work. Now notice what happened. And we will see this happen again when the temple was made. And a cloud covered the tabernacle of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and God put his presence called the Shekinah in the Holy of Holies right there in the tabernacle that they had just made and just dedicated, okay? And all Israel saw it. What a wonderful thing. Now for a while, they followed God. But after they started moving away from there, when things had all been taken care of, in bringing all the offerings and everything, as we find in the, the first eight chapters of the book of Leviticus no, the first chapters of Numbers, Leviticus describes making it, okay. Then the first eight chapters are the dedication of it. And every tribe had their leader of the tribe come with a special offering, and that was given to the Levites. And the Levites would use those things for the offerings and for the incense and for everything for the operation of the tabernacle. Okay? So let's pick it up. Numbers 9. And this is an important thing concerning the Passover. Because we know that the Passover is the important thing that we do in our relationship with God year by year. And also, it's the first thing to start off the sequence of the Holy Days. That is the Passover. Now so it was with the children of Israel. They had the tabernacle set up. The Levites were all ready to go. Everything was there. And so we find here in Numbers 9, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying... Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. Now that's the same phrase that is used in Leviticus 23 concerning the Sabbath, the Passover, and all the holy days, correct? Yes. Appointed by God on his calendar. Okay. Okay. And in the 14th day of this month, between the two evenings, you shall keep it in its appointed time. You shall keep it according to all the statutes and according to all the ceremonies of it. And Moses spoke to the children of Israel to keep the Passover. Okay? So they did. All right? Then, as you read in the book of Numbers and traveling... They rebelled against God ten times. Ten times. Right? So that's quite a thing. And when it came time for them to go into the promised land, and God was going to bring them in during the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? Now we find in Numbers 14 that God told Moses to send scouts into the promised land to check it out. They brought back evidence of how fantastic it was. And the grapes were so large that they had one bundle of grapes carried by two men on a pole on their shoulders hanging down. Now, 10 of the the spies said, oh, the people are tall and the cities are fenced, and we just don't know how we're going to do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, 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 no. God will fight for us. But they refused to listen. So God said to them, you're not going to go in. You're going to be 40 years Wandering in the wilderness until everyone over 20 is dead. Okay. Now, a lesson for all of us from this. You must do what God says. You must believe what God says. So they came into the land. They conquered beginning with Jericho. And they finally had it all conquered. And Joshua set up the tabernacle at Shiloh. And after everything was settled and they were in their land, the people followed Joshua and the elders. But again, now this is why we have to understand that the generation that follows must be taught what they need to do so they won't fall into the same trap, okay? So they weren't satisfied with it. So let's come to Judges, the second chapter, okay? They didn't put out all of the people in their lands that they should have, Now, then, let's also understand this shows the importance of the one who is teaching them. Now, Joshua was the first judge. Okay? Now, notice verse 7 of Judges 2. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance and so forth. Now, verse 10, And also all that generation were gathered to their fathers. Now, right now, here in the churches of God, we are in a generational change. You have, on the one hand, a lot of us who have been in the church for decades, and we know the things of God. We know the laws of God. We have kept the Sabbath. We've kept the Passover. We have kept the holy days. Now, along comes a new generation. Okay? Now, Look what happened when Herbert Armstrong died. Same thing that happened here. The leaders and the people went after Baal, the sun god. Okay? Same thing. So this is why it's important for us to go through this and understand. So for the new generation that is coming... We have got to leave them all the truth. Everything written down and published and ready to go. And we need the elders that transits over into the new generation to have the knowledge and understanding and truth so they can teach them that they don't fall into the trap that the children of Israel fell into. Okay. So, verse 10, And also all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor even to works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods, even the gods of the people that were around them and bowed down themselves to them and provoked the Lord to anger. Now, did that happen with the church of God? Yes, it did. See? So it's important that we know. That's why we've got to know the word of God. We've got to believe the word of God. We've got to live by the word of God. We've got to teach the word of God. And we have got to be faithful and remain yielded to God. And we pray that the generation that follows us will be strong enough for the task. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. And anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of spoilers who spoiled them. And he sold them into the hand of their enemies all around, so they could not any longer stand before their enemies. And whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were greatly distressed. Then it says, nevertheless, because God wants to continue on with his plan, he raised up judges. And the judges then that followed God, the people again followed God. The judges that did not follow God, then the people were evil. And this came all the way down to the time of Samuel. And Samuel was much like Moses. Because he was the son of a priest. He was dedicated to God when he was a young child. And to serve Eli the priest. But Eli the old priest. Did not keep his sons from corrupting things right at the tabernacle in Shiloh. And so then you know the story. God raised up Samuel and then, at the proper time, told Samuel what he was going to do because of the sins of his sons. And then Eli, the priest, knew it was from God. Now his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were desecrating the sacrifices to God. And it came time to fight against the Philistines. And they went out to fight, and they were defeated. So they said, well, let's go back and get the Ark of God, and God will fight for us. Now, we learn a lesson from this, because what happened? What happened? Remember, the prophecy was against Eli that he and his two sons would all die on the same day, and that was fulfilled when the sons of Eli took the Ark of the Covenant and went out to fight a battle to win for them when they had not repented, when they had not stopped doing their evil. So what did God do? And this is a lesson for all of us. And we've seen it in our age as well. What happened? God caused the Philistines to win and to take captive the ark. And they killed the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, and when the message came back and it was told Eli that they died and the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant, he fell backwards and he died, fulfilling the prophecy that they would die in one day. Now then, God then let the Philistines virtually destroy the tabernacle Of course, Samuel escaped and continued to lead the people of God the best that he could. Then Samuel, we're going to learn some lessons here with this because this is good. Let's come to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, finally, after what happened with the Ark of the Covenant, it's very interesting. Samuel was there, and he was held as prisoner because he told the woman that his strength was in his hair, so it was cut off, and he then was held captive in the temple. And all the people gathered there because the Ark was there. Then Samson prayed to God for the strength to cause him to be able to move the two large pillars of the temple of Dagon and destroy everyone in there. And then the ark was taken after that, and it ended up in in Kirjath-Jerim, where there was a Levite who took care of it for the length of time until later, when David brought the ark back to his own house. Okay? But let's continue on with what happened. How did Israel get a king instead of a judge? Okay? So this is important. See? But Israel never, never, never learned the lesson. And it's hard for people to learn the lesson. That, the people who follow the leader instead of God, it never succeeds. And that's what happened. First Samuel 8. And it came to pass when Samuel was old, he made his son judges over Israel. And the name of the firstborn was Joel. The name of the second was Abiah and judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons. Now, how often has this happened? The next generation. That's why all of us in the eldership are trepidatious about what's going to happen Because when there is a change of generation, and there there is a time that I will no longer be here, then what is going to happen? Will the brethren and people continue to follow God? Will the next generation degenerate? We don't know. Because it hasn't happened yet, but here's an example. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted judgment. They didn't learn the lessons of the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, that they were killed because of what they did in taking the ark out, expecting God to win the battle for them, even though they never repented. So all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Now, what happens when you get the wrong leadership or a different kind of leadership? The same thing as long as the king followed God. The people would follow God for the most part. Okay? Now, make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And the thing was evil in the eyes of Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Now, here's another lesson we can learn. Be careful what you ask for, because if it's not right, guess what? You're going to be in trouble. Okay, Because the Lord will give it to you. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Think about that for a minute. Good lesson. All the elders, all the brethren, all of us together need to stay close to God and do what is right and not be looking for something different in the hopes that God will make it right. And we will see God did not make it right for very long. Because what happens when the leader sins? Well, look what happened in our days. Quite a thing to understand, right? All right? So, the question is, Do we want God to reign over us? And do we want to submit to God ourselves? See? So during this time of the Feast of Tabernacles, we're going to see, we will also have, to a degree, a small degree, some of this same problem with the people that we are going to serve and rule over from the point of view that free moral agency, everyone is going to have. And that doesn't mean they're going to use it in the right way, as we will see later. And then what do we do? How do we handle it? How do the people learn? See? So, let's see what else God told Samuel. According to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them up out of of Egypt until this day, works with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they do also to you. Quite a lesson, isn't it? And now hearken to their voice. Only you shall surely protest solemnly to them and show them what kind of king who shall reign over them. So Samuel did. And the people wanted a king. Now then God chose Saul. And Saul was tall, head and shoulders above all, and he was made king. Now, notice what God said, okay? Move over here to 1 Samuel 10. Let's do this first. Let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll come back and we'll pick it up at 1 Samuel, the 10th chapter, and see about Saul, and then we'll learn at the fall of Saul, and then we'll take a quick look at David, and then we will look at Solomon. And what we see is the pattern of obedience and love and then apostasy. Obedience and love and then sin and then apostasy. And even David himself, who was a man after God's own heart, sinned grievously with Bathsheba. So you see, and here's another lesson for all of us to learn today. You can never bring righteousness with sin. Or, look at it the other way around. You can never make sin righteous. You must have to repent of sin and get rid of it. Okay, let's take a break and we'll be back. Okay, now let's continue on, brethren, and let's look at the example of Saul, the first king of Israel. Now, wouldn't it be nice if he would have succeeded? Here is another lesson, because God has chosen us, which he has, he's chosen us out of this world, right? Right? And has given us his Holy Spirit. That's true. That's right. Okay. And uses us to do whatever he wants us to do. That's fine. But we can never get complacent and start going against God thinking we're doing the will of God. See? And we see that repeated over and over and over and over again. Let's Before we come to 1 Samuel 10 again, let's come to Deuteronomy 17. Let's see what probably Samuel added to the word of God in Deuteronomy 17 concerning a king. Because God wanted it to be a system of judges. Okay. But this had to be put in there because there would be a succession of kings. Okay. Let's read it, verse 14 of Deuteronomy 17. Verse 14. Now we know Samuel had to put this in there even though it sounds like it was in there prior to that, because those elders who came to Samuel to ask for a king did not say that the scriptures show what we were to do when we got a king. So it's very evident that Samuel wrote it. When you come into the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you shall possess it and shall live in it, and shall say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. God wanted his nation to be different, to be righteous, so that the rest of the world could see that and would want to emulate it. See? Because remember, the whole purpose of Israel we find in Exodus the 19th chapter was that all of Israel to the world would be like a kingdom of priests to show them God's way. So you see how much God gives into our hands that we make the choices of whether it's going to be according to the will of God and according to his blessing or that we not do it the way God says, thinking we're doing good. That's precisely what happened with the king. Okay. So he says, You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God shall choose. You shall set a king over you from among your brethren. You may not set a stranger over you who is not of your brethren, only he shall not multiply horses. And we're going to see what happened a little later with that to himself. Nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt. Now that doesn't mean go live in Egypt. That that means to return to the practices of Egyptian religion so as to multiply horses because the lord has said to you you shall not return that way again nor shall he multiply wives to himself so that his heart does not turn away ha huh. remember that nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold to himself and it shall be now here is a lesson for us as to why we need to study the word of God. See? And God did not want some great royal family that's untouchable. So here's direct instruction to the king, future king. And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself, a copy of this law in a book from that which is in the custody of the priest, the Levites. Write down the word of God. Now question, how many hundreds and maybe thousands of times have you heard prayer and study? Prayer and study, right? Okay, now why do we need that? Because we're going to be kings and priests, right? Revelation 20? Yes. How are we going to enter into the kingdom and start ruling if we haven't shown to God that we love him, keep his commandments, and to do everything according to his word? See? Same thing here with the king. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. For what reason? Why do we study and restudy, study and restudy, study and restudy? Why are we at this Feast of Tabernacles going through the sequence of everything that happened with Israel and their judges and their kings? Because we're going to be kings and priests, as we just noted, ruling under Christ. So we need to learn. Here's why so that he may learn. Now, remember where we started John 6:45. And they shall all be taught of God or by God. How are we taught by God? Through his word. okay? As it was back then, and as it is today. May learn to fear the Lord is God to keep all the words of God, of this law, and these statutes to do them. That's why it's important. And here's another lesson indeed. That follows in the next verse. Which is what we need to keep in mind. This is why. If you don't have the information on. Is the government of God the ministry. Or is the ministry the government of God. We have that booklet. Okay. Because. Here's what happened in the Church of God at Pasadena and every place else because they didn't do what the instructions were here and they didn't follow it. And so they ended up with a hierarchy where that, if anyone spoke against the ministers, That was evil. Well, what if you were seeing something that the minister was doing that wasn't right? And it needed to be corrected. Huh? Verse 20. So that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren. Because what happens then? And that he does not turn aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the right or to the left to the end. That he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Quite a lesson, isn't it? Yes. So here we have the dedication of Samuel of Saul. And let's look at this. 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 18. And he said, that is to all the people gathered to the Lord for the coronation. And he said to the children of Israel, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptian, out of the hand of all the kingdoms of those who oppressed you. And you have this day rejected your God who himself saved you out of all your calamities and your tribulation. Now there's another lesson for us too, right? What happens if we don't have faith with God? Remember what we have said in our prayer. Your will be done. What if it's God's will that we have a trial? And then we get angry because we think we ought to have a blessing. But maybe God wants you to have a trial before he will bless you. Because he wants to see what you're going to do in the trial. Read that sentence again. And you have this day rejected your God who brought you up out of the land, uh, out of all your calamities and tribulations. And you have said to him, but set a king over us, and now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. When he caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, Uh, the family of Matri was taken and Saul, the son of Kish was taken and they looked for him, couldn't find him. Well, they finally found him because he was, he was hiding someplace and they brought him. Okay. And Samuel said to all the people, okay, here he is front of all the people, tallest man around, probably very good looking. Okay. Here he is. Now Saul, we'll see, really had an opportunity to do well. But we'll see what happened. Okay? Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That there is none like him among all the people? And all the people shouted and said, Long live the king! Okay? Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, each to his own house. Okay? Now, let's come to 1 Samuel 15. Let's see the fall of Saul. And another good lesson for us, you see. Now, we also get a good lesson from God concerning how he's going to solve a problem that maybe we've lived through or maybe we have experienced. And sometimes God waits a long time before he brings it about because he also gives the enemy a chance to change their ways and not have God's judgment come upon them. Okay? Now you find that in Jeremiah 18, how God judges all nations, which means the king. You can see what happened in the book of Daniel with King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? All right. 1 Samuel 15. Now this is quite a thing. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord has sent me to anoint you to be king over his people Israel. Now listen to the voice of the words of the Lord. Okay. Listen carefully. And do them rightly. Okay. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for that which he did to the children of Israel, how he set against them in the way when they came up out of the land of Egypt. Woo! about 400 years. Okay. Go now and smite Amalek and completely destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, kill both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, and camel and donkey. Everything. Okay? So Samuel gathered the people together and numbered them at Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Samuel came to a city of Amalek and lie in wait in the valley. Okay? Canites came and he said, go. This is not your battle. Get away. Now let's see what Saul did. Thinking he was doing the will of God, but he modified it with his own thought. Now, that's an interesting thing, too, isn't it? Okay. Verse 7. And Samuel struck the Amalekites from Havilah, as you come to Shur, which is over across from Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And completely destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and lambs and all that was good and would not completely destroy them. But everything that was vile and feeble They completely destroyed them. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, It repents me that I have set Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Think of that. Think of that in relationship to where we are today. See? And how the church can go forward serving God in a way that it ought to by yielding to God and being faithful in every word of God. Okay. And so... Samuel went down there and Saul said Verse thirteen Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, You are blessed of the Lord, I perform the commandment of the Lord. Ah. Huh. Then Samuel said, What then is that bleeding of the flock in my ears? And what is the sound of the herd? Which I hear. And Saul said, They. Who was responsible? Saul as king? And the word from Samuel to Saul to do what he should do? Yes. Notice what he said. They. Always blame someone else, right? Ha. Huh. Sound like what we see politically today, everything around us, all the evil people being in charge when they're caught doing things, then they point to those who are innocent and accuse them. Okay? Well, the people did do it, but the blame laid with Saul, not with the people, because if he would have told them, destroy all the animals... Don't keep them alive, and I'll destroy Agag king myself. But he didn't do it. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. And notice he didn't say, The Lord. Our God. Can you do something evil and bring it to God and expect it to be accepted in righteousness by God? Never happened. And the rest we've completely destroyed. And Samuel said to Saul, stay here and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me tonight. And he said to him, speak on. And he said, here's another lesson. See why, brethren, we have the Old Testament. And why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 that these are examples for us. Now Saul was well-intended, but he knew the commandment of God. And you can't go against the commandment of God because you're well-intentioned. It's still sin. You can't make God accept that. That's why we're to do the word of the Lord. So Samuel said, verse 17, when you were little in your own sight, did you not become head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on the way and said, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them and destroy them. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Ha, here we are. Do those three words again. Obey my Voice. There it is. Why did you fly upon the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, Yes, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag king of Amalek, and have completely destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil of the flocks and herd, and the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Well-intentioned, right? Just think how the people felt when, when Saul said, oh, don't kill them. Let's take them for sacrifice to God. And they're taking all these nice things to God for sacrifice. And they think they're doing right and doing well. But they weren't. See? So Samuel said to him, Does the Lord have a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Huh. Where did we begin this? Message today. John 17, the words of Christ, correct? Yes. Now here it is. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To hearken, that means listen and do, is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion. Okay. Now, we need to understand that. Because rebellion can come along with something that looks, oh, so good. But it's rebellion, isn't it? See? That's why it has to be the words of God. Not our thought, but God's thought. Not our way, but God's way. Notice what he says. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now notice what Samuel said to Saul. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now, It did not happen instantly. So, another lesson to learn. If the correction of God does not come instantly, don't think everything is well because it's coming later in God's time. And probably in a way That we wouldn't expect. Okay. Now notice. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Apply that to us entering into the kingdom of God. See. Great lessons. Okay. And Saul said to Samuel I have sinned for I have disobeyed the commandment of the Lord And your word, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, please pardon my sin and turn again with me so that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of God, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Okay. And Samuel turned around to go. Uh, Saul laid his hand on the skirt of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and given to a neighbor of yours that is better than you. Okay. Amazing. Isn't that something? Okay. So what happened? God chose David. Now you can read of that. 1 Samuel 16. Okay. And then David became an assistant to Saul. And then there was hatred of Saul toward David because he could see that David was the one who was going to take his throne. And so there was battle between Saul and David over a prolonged period of time. You can read all of that. Okay. So then, Saul dies in battle, and his son dies in battle, and David becomes king. Didn't happen all at once. It was over Jerusalem first, and then the leaders of the ten tribes came to Jerusalem and talked to David, okay, and then they said, Well, 2 Samuel 5, let's read it, verse 1. And all the tribes of Israel came to David in Hebron and spoke, saying, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were he who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall feed my people Israel, and you shall be a shepherd over Israel. And all the elders came to the king in Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel, all twelve tribes. Okay? There we have all of that. David fought good wars, a lot of good battles. David was faithful, served God, and then we find 2 Samuel 7. Here's where we have the account where David was thinking about building a house or a temple for God. Let's pick it up, verse 1, 2 Samuel 7. And it came to pass when a king dwelt in his house, and when the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within curtains, because he had the ark of God in a special place in his house that was in a tent like curtains. And Asaph was the high priest and the other Levites with him. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? See? Now think about that for a minute. And let's think about what David did. See? After getting this tremendous blessing to go ahead... And build a house for God, but not him personally, but a son that would come out of his own loins. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord shall you build me a house for a dwelling? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt. Under this day I have walked in a tent and a tabernacle. In all places which I have walked with all the children of Israel, see God dwelling with them. And what he did, he put the Shennika, In the Holy of Holies. Okay? In all the places which I have walked, all the children of Israel, did I speak a word of any of the tribes of Israel, those whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why do you not build me a house of cedar? No, he didn't. So, dear God, bless David. And said, I'm going to do it, even though I haven't done it before up to this point. Huh. What a thing that is. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheep, Kuti, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people, over Israel. And I was with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies out of your sight and have made you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. Moreover, I appointed you a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Now that's a prophecy of sending them to what we now know is Europe and the UK. Huh. Long way down the road, right? Yes. Neither shall the sons of wickedness afflict them anymore as before. And that blends into the millennium. Even from the time that I commanded the judges to be over my people Israel, so I will cause you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled, you shall sleep with your fathers, and I shall set up your seed after you who shall come forth from your own loins, and I will make his kingdom sure, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be to him for a father, and he shall be to me for a son. If he commits iniquity, I will chastise him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not leave him as I took it from Saul Whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Now that's another whole story. Okay. But it is true. It did happen. And according to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. Okay, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord? O God, and what is my house that you have brought me here? And this was yet a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, but you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is the manner of men, O Lord God. And what can David say more to you? For you, O Lord God, know your servant. Okay? And for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know. Okay? And he blessed God. Okay? Now you would think with that. And that great promise that was given to David. That he would make sure that he followed God. That he was righteous. that, And as God said, he would get rid of all of the enemies and so forth. But what? did he do after this? The affair with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband Uriah the Hittite in the battle against the enemy. Not quite a thing. Well, punishment of that was that his own household would be against him the rest of his life. And so there was rebellion among his own sons as to who would take over the throne. Okay? And that was a terrible time for David. And he was castigated by everybody in the kingdom because they knew that he had sinned against God in this adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And they knew, and Joab the general, remember Joab the general? He knew all the problems within the royal family, right? But, Even in spite of this, God kept his word. And he did let his son, Solomon, become king and build the temple. So we'll end it here for today and pick it up there tomorrow. Because there are more lessons for us to learn. See? What's going to happen in the millennium when everything is peaceful and fine and everything is grand and glorious for 500 years? What are the people going to do? How are we going to respond? How are we going to rule and judge? So all of those are questions we need to answer and look for in the Word of God. But the whole sum of all of this is In order for us to be in the kingdom of God and in order for us to build the kingdom during the millennium, see, the kingdom of God under Christ. We've got to learn the lessons of love and truth and humility and serving of God and living by every word of God. See, now just look how much the Protestants miss. By saying you don't have to follow anything in the Old Testament. Look at how this helps us in preparing for the coming kingdom of God. That we are going to overcome human nature the way that God wants us to. So when we are resurrected and changed from flesh to spirit. That will be a grand and glorious, glorious thing. So we'll end it here and see you tomorrow.